It's like being cornered at a party by a moron who won't stop describing the zany dream he's just had, including the climactic appearance of a giant homicidal penis monster. That's from Kevin Marr of the Times of UK, documentary feature review, and his bow is afraid. The new film from Ari Aster, the celebrated independent filmmaker who's been so closely associated with the films from A24. Also, our new film from Vim Vendors. It's called Perfect Days. It got a ton of buzz at the Cannes Film Festival, where its lead actor actually won Best Actor. Uh, big news there for Koji Yakusho back in May. Uh, the film has been released in Germany. I, of course, saw it thanks to the screener. I'm not exactly sure when it's hitting theaters, um, depending on where you are, but I know it's playing you know, in one theater in New York City, at least, hopefully appearing sooner rather than later. I'll talk about that film as well. But no old movie this week. The wild card, though, is David Sampson. That's right. You know him, you love him. You know he and I go at it when it comes to the Levitard show. Uh, but here, we're going to get into it. The Golden Globes, because honestly, we're both kindred spirits when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I said this will be nice if we get to uh, really dive deep into what happened, namely Joe Coy's disastrous monologue and the winners and losers of what was the Golden Globes. Before we play it, Chris Cody is away on assignment. He is getting ready for the Dolphins taking on the Chiefs. So he's off to Arrowhead shortly. Uh, had to do the show this week. It's it's not the draw Miami wanted, but hopefully Chris enjoys himself and gets in some good barbecue in Kansas City. But the shipping container somehow makes a cameo here. So if you take a listen, don't start futzing with your audio. What it is, is Chris is recording. He is muted, and yet somehow the audio is able to seep in at times. Chris has done all he can to kind of limit that, but if a couple of times you hear me and Samson talking and you swear you're hearing a laugh track in the background or some other audible conversation, as Chris just texted me, it sounds like you know somebody's having a conversation 15 feet away. That is kind of what it's going to sound like. So don't be alarmed. That's the shipping container. We don't know what happened. It's not on Chris. He pressed mute on his Zoom. So not sure what happened, but I think you really enjoy the conversation with me and Samson. So let's hit it. We are delighted to bring in the only guy who cares as much as I do about the Golden Globe Awards. That's right. David Sampson. Nothing personal as a podcast colleague here at Metal Arc. David First and foremost, I asked you a week or so ago, I said, I need your email address. Or, sorry, your, your uh, uh, snail mail. I need your address. And you gave it to me. Uh, what was your reaction? What did you think was going to be sent to you by me? I thought you were sending me a holiday card. Right? I that would be the general assumption. I to see your family. And, and right. what do you, it's always tricky because I don't do holiday cards or Rosh Hashanah cards or New Year's cards or Christmas right. cards. And then when you get one... You know, I look at the photos, I'm like, oh my God, your kids got so big, it don't care. You know, oh look, it, you know, it's done by Kodak on the back, you know, Shutterfly. And yeah. then you throw it away and you just feel badly about it. But when someone asks for your address, you're gonna give it. I had no idea that when I got the piece of mail yesterday, I knew immediately something was up because it was this huge envelope. Right. So I was super excited, and I must say that I predicted what it would be, though not the movie. So you said something movie-related. This guy gets a bunch of swag. I should throw up my face. So he's re-gifting this. But it was perfect because it was Salper. For those who are not aware, I sent David a big coffee table book of Salper, which I've received. I remember the Critics' Choice Awards, which David never tires of hearing. And he loved the movie, and I didn't. So as soon as you had, and this was before we had debated it on the Levitard show, you had texted me, said, I saw Salper, and I go, great. I need your address. I've got the perfect gift for you. How good is the book? It's got the screenplay. It's got stories about the whole movie. Beautiful. I couldn't believe it. First of all, are they doing that in an effort? Because it's clearly there. It's all the categories where they are, are eligible or want to be nominated for Academy Awards. 
right. January 23rd. I had an argument, side note, if we can do this with Coca, the producer yeah. on Nothing Personal. We do the show live at 8 a.m. every day, and the Academy Award nominations come out on January 23rd, mm -hmm. and they Same come day out Hall around— of Fame, by the way. That is the Hall of Fame day. Oh, so you're gonna be are you, you're gonna be busy. I'm, I'm locked into Todd Helton in the meantime. <laughs> What's gonna is Giamatti gonna win or what? Beltre's in. Yes. Helton has a shot. Sheffield, yeah. I think, is gonna miss out on his final year. Uh, and it, it's gonna be I think Wagner was gonna miss out. It's gonna be interesting, but you may have at least it won't be a donut because you're correct. definitely getting Beltre. Beltre, no doubt. Helton right now at eighty two percent, but as you know, those always fall by five to seven. So there's no it's not a lot of wiggle room there. And Anyways, he's got, it's not his last year, though. No, he's still got a little bit of time. So he'll get so it. He's but Wagner and Chef. This is it. So I, I get this big envelope, and I was hoping, now I'll tell you, because when it was presented to me, I saw the size before I felt the package. Yeah. When you feel the package, I said. knew that it was a book. Thank you. That it was a book. Yeah. But before I felt the package, I said, oh, this could be wearable swag. So I thought I was going to get something movie-related like a toque or maybe a sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah. And then I felt it, and I knew it was a book, so didn't think what movie it would be. Though I, though maybe it could, was going to be The Holdovers, because that's yes. both of our top movies. So I thought maybe, yeah. but then I realized you're not going to share with me anything from The Holdovers. <laughs> exactly. You're going to give me the crap that you don't I, I'm want. Gonna, I'm going to hoard the stuff that I want, and I'll discard the crap I don't care about. How long do you keep the stuff that you get, the free stuff? I, do you have I, all the I, stuff from last year? No, I try to get rid of it as quick as I can. So literally, you text me, you like Salford, I'm like, great, I need your address. Bam. Guy at work mentioned me in passing. How good was Maestro? Perfect. You get a giant book. You know what I mean? It's like Oprah. You get a book. You get a book. You get a hat. You get a toque. And so they're all books? Every movie? So it's a lot of books. I have the screenplays to like Barbie, American Fiction. If you want that too, I'll back your address now. I can pass that along. I thought that I go, I don't know if Samson's the kind of guy who would read a screenplay. Oh, 100%. Okay. All right. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll go and through it, these. I like reading screenplays both before I see a movie and then after, because before you do it in your own voice. Yeah. And then after you do it in the voice of the cast that you watched on screen. Well, so I forwarded you. You can see the difference. Right. The Oppenheimer screenplay. And did I send you the Killers of the Flower Moon screenplay? I have you that did as not. well. Okay. I'll send you that one because it's God, you're to such your point. A show off. I no, I, I, I've watched it three times, as you know. And that great early scene with De Niro and Leo, it's awesome when you see how much of it it's ad libbed. Because in the script, it just says, Do you like women? He's like, Oh, you know, I like women, big ones, red ones, whatever. And in the movie, you know, Leo's leering at him like, Oh, I like the big one. I like the way they smell. And De Niro's like, We got to watch out for you. How do you uh, think? that writers feel when oh. actors do that are they super excited that it's leonardo dicaprio no. who is who is making stuff up and ad-libbing or are they saying hey man you're yeah. ruining what i wrote correct because there's only a handful of guys who it's like really stick to the script woody allen mamet sorkin everybody else are like yeah you can just kind of take it and leave it as we get because people will get mad at me they go you give so much credit to the director and i'm like it's a director media they go you give so much credit to the writer the actors i'm like yeah they go what about the writers i go listen i read the screenplays i have great respect for writers but a lot of the material isn't used in the movie in television it's different in plays it's different they stick to the script Anyways. how happy were you when lily gladstone won best actress oh my god i was thrilled because i was worried killers of Fireman was about to get completely shut out and it was i believe one for seven on the night which would have tied the record for the most offers and i thought it was a beautiful speech and you and I are the type that I think we can appreciate. A, it's a great film, obviously, but B, this is important. Like for people who mock guys like you and me and go, why do you care so much about award shows, you morons? They're just a bunch of self-absorbed, you know, sycophants. And you go, no, but it is actually important. There's going to be a native child out there who's going to say, hey, Lily Gladstone spoke Blackfeet. That was an impactful moment to me. Uh, when Clemente won the World Series the second time and he began his speech, because let me speak in Spanish first. Like that resonates. You, I hear Spanish speaking people today go, that was an incredible moment that Clemente spoke Spanish first to my people in Puerto Rico. Rico, then he spoke.
It was a it was a beautiful moment. It was a classy speech and a deserved win. And this is going to be a great race for the Oscar. It's Emma Stone versus Lily Gladstone, two very deserving winners. And I, I have not seen Poor Things. I'm waiting for it to stream, which it will, because yeah. I still haven't gone to a theater, by the way, which so is this crazy. is insane to me. You watch a movie every single day. You're locked in like I am, and you, you don't <laughs> go. You're in New York City, so you have availability to these great films, and yet you don't go to the movies. Here's the problem I have, and it's happened as I've gotten older. I have some frustration tolerance issues, and I don't, as, as a quasi-public figure, I don't want to get arrested. I don't right. want to get in trouble. But when people talk, when I'm trying to watch a movie, yeah. it makes me insane. And I don't mean when the movie starts. To me, when the previews start, that's when it's time to be quiet. But yes. not everybody shares that point of view. So I find, and I don't want to sit in other people's dirt and mess and stickiness and know it's every type of theater that has it. But so to the I first figure, point, can't you go to like a 1 p.m. matinee? You know those are pretty empty, right? There's no one around. Do you go to movies alone? I do. I love going to movies alone. It's my, so, my, my, my. so there's two types of people. There's yeah. people who go to movies alone and people who don't. And I started going to movies alone when I was 26 years old. And I'll never forget the first movie I went to. I was in Europe doing business that I started at 26 years old. And I had an off afternoon because it was my own business. And I went to a movie theater in Paris alone. Yeah. And I said, and I thought that I wouldn't be able to do it. And I absolutely fell in love with the concept because not only did I not have to worry about other people talking because there was no one in there, but I didn't have to talk to anyone because I was alone. So it was actually perfect. But since COVID, and it's not a germ issue, it just became a noise issue and a cleanliness issue. Okay. Yeah. I've not been to a theater, so I have to wait for movies to stream. So Poor Things is number one on my list. I oh. can't wait to see it. Yeah, I think you're going to love it because it's so audacious and it's so original and so much fun. Joe Coy is getting lambasted. You and I are hosts. We know how hard this job is. It's not easy. You only have 11 days notice, but universally banned. What did you think? I did not... So it's hard when you host these shows, doing the monologue and hitting the monologue. There are only so many Billy Crystals. Correct. It's really hard to be a good host of an award show. The real thing that people are focused on is his Taylor Swift joke, which I thought was funny. Right. And the fact that Taylor Swift would not play along with it, and this goes against Coca's going to get upset with me because I'm going Coca. against Swifties, and you can't do that. Ugh. Can we not have a sense of humor here? I agree. What was so scathing about the joke? All he said was about the cutaways. It wasn't like he insulted her on a particularly vicious level. And you're right. The whole key is the audience because he couldn't win the room. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody has a relationship with him. So if Jimmy Kimmel bombs a little bit. Hey, it's Jimmy Kimmel. He's my friend. It's okay. I'll laugh it off. De Niro, very generous. That the joke wasn't great. But oh, your greatest trick ever. You're 80. You got her pregnant. But he gave it a big laugh. But Taylor Swift, because she still just stared daggers at the guy. I'm like, you don't have to be that mean about it. It was terrible, and I feel for him because uh, I don't love the fact that he blamed his writers when jokes there it didn't is. land. I don't yes. enjoy that as comedy bit because the writer's room is everything. So you do not sully your own writer's room. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like selling out your teammate. It's like in baseball, you know, when, an, when a pitcher would say to a fielder, you know, I lost because of the error you made, or when they show up a fielder on the, uh, literally when the play is happening and the mm. error happens, you see pitchers, Garrett Cole does this more than people think. He yeah. will gesticulate in a way that is embarrassing oh. to players. Exactly. Yeah. That's ex if you're not watching this live, then you don't know what <laughs> Adnan did, but he did a perfect imitation of right. Garrett Cole when there's a mistake behind him. And I just don't think you should do that. I thought that was the biggest problem of the monologue, but mm -hmm. frankly, it was over so fast. The award show, it went quickly. Yes. I found it very compelling. I think the quality of the content this year is outstanding, both on TV 
and on in on the silver screen. So I was compelled the entire time, and it sets up what is going to be an amazing Oscar race. And what I was saying about January 23rd is we got sidetracked by the Hall of Fame. I'm going to be live on the air when the nominations come out. And oh, I would, before I started Nothing Personal, my schedule would be around the nominations. I wouldn't have a morning meeting the day nominations were announced. And You're often, running the Marlins. You're the president of the Miami Marlins. You go, hey, guys, just so you know, Oscar nods, I'll get you at noon. Not only that, I would be at owners' meetings. The majority of time, it was owners' meetings in Arizona when the Oscar nominations would come out. And I would wake up, and I would be, because it would be 5 a.m. local time and 5.30, and I would watch it. Or when owners' meetings were on Eastern time and the meetings would start at 8 a.m., I would step out and watch the nominations live. True story. The only guy who stepped out of the owners' meeting. That is true dedication. One thing, so what like do said, I do? Do I not do the show that day? Yeah, you're going to tell Coca, listen, you're gonna, I just need to, like I said, I need 12 to 15 minutes. You're going to have to buy me some time here. 12 to 15 minutes, you're on your own. I'll, I'll Just exactly what you did before. I'll step out. I'll come back in with my immediate thoughts. Um, Oppenheimer obviously feels like the movie to beat. It wins Best Picture. It wins Director. It wins Actor. It wins Supporting Actor. It's won Score. I know you're a big fan of the movie, as am I. It feels like it's Nolan's moment. You know how much I love Marty. Would love to see Scorsese win another. I thought maybe he'll win for screenplay, but now I'm very concerned. I think Nolan wins director. Screenplay, I thought they'd give to Scorsese and Roth for adapted. But now Barbie is in the adapted screenplay category, and I think it's a good chance that's the Barbie win for Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach rather than Scorsese and Eric Roth. What do you think? It's a fascinating subject. So there's two sides to this. One, they're saying Barbie. The Academy is saying Barbie's adapted. And what they're saying is because it comes from an existing character like a Barbie doll in the Mattel universe. And right. I was bothered by that. Not Judd Apatow level bothered. Yeah, but Judd bothered. Apatow furious about it, yeah. Furious, and I get it. Because when, when Hamilton is the example that I was talking to somebody about, an amazing book, which I did not read, it's about 25,000 pages long, and Lin-Manuel Miranda took that book and somehow created Hamilton, the musical, brilliant. Mm -hmm. That's adapted from the book. He took the book and he made it into rap lyrics and found a way to make a, a play from it, a musical. Yeah. People take a book like Oppenheimer and they write a screenplay from it. That's adapted. I get that definition. An original is when Alexander Payne, out of his, just out of his own head, he says, how about if we have a teacher, and I assume he did it with Paul Giamatti in mind when he wrote The Holdovers, how about if we have a teacher who's forced to stay with kids over Christmas and he's a curmudgeonly guy and I'm gonna write this. That's original, that's easy. How is it that Barbie's not original? Can you explain that to me, Adnan? No, I thought that that is an original concept. And to me, the success of the movie, it really goes to Greta Gerwig, Noah Baumbach, and Margot Robbie. Like that, if that holy trinity doesn't make this thing work, then the movie's not going to work. And it was an original script, an original idea. And again, if you want to reward the film, which did make over a billion dollars, was a huge success. Back in the day, you know, the Oscars used to reward commercial movies. Both commercial movies were also movies that critics loved. The Godfather made X amount of dollars, and everyone loved it. Then it became an era where Nomadland wins Best Picture, and it makes $12.1 million. You know, and I love it. So it's like, it's a good thing when movies that are good are rewarded by the Oscars and are profitable. So I totally get the love around Barbie, and if it won the Oscar for original screenplay, I'd be like, that would be noteworthy. Adapted to me, it makes no sense, and it really muddies the waters. The original category isn't as strong, although I, this is good news for David Henningsen, who I had on Cinephile, 
who wrote the screenplay for the holdovers because I, I think he's got a pretty good chance at now winning for original screenplay uh, i think he should win for that and i'm sorry i was talking about alexander payne he directed holdovers didn't he correct he directed this is one of the rare times he didn't write it you're right normally he always writes it and co-writes it with jim taylor he's won two oscars for writing but this time he didn't write he only directed the whole so tell me about this writer is this the first screenplay that he's had made into a film Correct. He was a TV guy, and wow. he wanted to make the TV show. And then Payne called him and goes, hey, listen, I've got this idea. What do you think? And he was like, yeah, I can cook something up for you. He's like, all right. And Payne was very much involved with it, saying, all right, change this, change this, try this. And Henning said at one point, he's like, do you want credit on this too? He's like, no, it's fine. Go ahead. It's, it's, I'm just kind of dictating to you, but it's your script. You, you do it. I'll direct it, and that's it. So I thought it was pretty generous of him. So you're an inside man. Can you answer this? I didn't know that writers get to choose who gets credited for something? I thought yeah. like in the Academy, when they choose to see the producers of a film who are called up for best picture, yeah. that there's a limit or they get to choose. Is that the same with writing where Alexander Payne can say, I don't want a credit and that is acceptable? He can, and sometimes they'll go to the Guild and also debate it a little bit. Like in the case of Wag the Dog, Mamet wrote the script, who I adore and I love that movie, but Hillary Hankin apparently had wrote an earlier script which had nothing to do with Mamet's script. And when they called Mamet, it's in his new book, which I've read, which is very funny. They said, we've got bad news. You're getting co-credit. He goes, why? I wrote the entire script, the one that Levinson used. He goes, yeah, but there's another script that was kind of like it. And so he went to the WGA and goes, listen, my script has nothing to do with Hillary Hankin's. There's no basis of it. And they're like, yeah, but there's also this thing called Wag the Dog. There's a couple of similar elements. So you're both getting credit. So that sometimes it can go against you. But you're right. The writer gets gets the decision. Eric Roth, in the case of Killers of the Flower Moon, told Scorsese, Marty, you're getting co-writing credit. You've been a big part of this. I want you getting the co-writing credit as well. So it, it's pretty generous, and the writer wants them involved as well. Giamatti, our guy, goes and celebrates it in and out after winning the Golden Globe. I would have thought a week ago, David, it's going to be Killian Murphy, maybe Bradley Cooper for Maestro. He wrote, he produced it, he directed it. It's a real labor of love. Leonard Bernstein, biopic, bisexual. This is hitting lots of check marks the Academy likes. But the film doesn't appear to have as much love as Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. But now maybe our boy Giamatti comes through. Never been nominated for Best Actor Oscar, ever. He's been nominated for Supporting Actor once for Cinderella Man. Was not nominated for Sideways. And was not nominated for American Splendor. Never been nominated for Best Actor. Now do you think our man can take down Killian Murphy and or Bradley Cooper? He's definitely going to get nominated. Good. And I actually think that they will give it to him. Because <laughs> I thought Killian Murphy was great. I yeah. thought Oppenheimer, but that to me is a Christopher Nolan production. Yeah. And I don't think that movie changes. So this is what I say in my head. Does yeah. the movie change with someone else in the role? And I think that the movie doesn't change with someone else in the Killian Murphy role. I think that The Holdovers is a completely different movie. Paul Giamatti is that character. He, it's like it was written for him, and I think there's a chance that gets rewarded. But we have some time to think about it once the nominations come out. But that's going to be an interesting race because you know the Oscars are different than the Golden Globes. You don't have the musical comedy and then the drama. And by the way, I don't quite figure out how they know what's musical comedy. They kept uh, saying the bear is a musical comedy and i've not bears one of my favorite shows dramatic show it's about grieving very serious stuff yeah what part of that is musical or comedy <laughs> like how did they say that in their mind the hollywood foreign press right i would barry also categorized as a comedy to me there's some funny elements but it's a very serious show but an actor turned serial killer
Back to more of the Golden Globes. One of the favorite parts for me of award shows, and again, you're as into it as I am, is the clips. So I love when I'm watching it. Here's the clip. But they didn't do that for certain categories. Like Best Actress, I said, I want to see the scene where Lily Gladstone, Leo tells her sister, did, and she screams in the basement. But no, no scene. But then you, you show me scenes of like Best Director. I get a quick clip of Christopher Nolan directing. Like, Can you make sense of this to me? At least the acting categories, I got to see the clip. When you watch the movie, as do I, you go, that's the clip they're going to show at the award shows. And yet this time, they were very indiscriminate in what they did show, what they didn't show. So the problem is when they do clips, for people who haven't seen the movie, it, it's not as meaningful. It's really for people who've seen the movie, when they see the clip, they're reminded of the movie and it makes them either like it more or, or like it less, whatever the case may be. But there's a level of recognition. The Oscars tend to show clips in the acting categories, right. but what they all are trying to do is figure out time. And the Golden Globes went over, I believe the final award was at 11.04 Eastern. And pretty were, good. And they it were was aiming for 11 though. So yeah. not, to me, they were late. And yeah. the Oscars, they're try if baseball can do it, the award shows can do it. <laughs> and baseball eliminated 35 minutes off the clock. They right. will find a way to tighten up the Academy Awards as they did the Golden Globes. I'm glad that CBS took over. That was a interesting yes. thing. This was CBS's first year. They mm -hmm. got it from NBC. NBC walked away from it with all the struggles around the Hollywood Farm Press and how insane it is. And one thing that I've learned as I've got older in this industry is that the correlation between the Golden Globes and the Oscars, there really isn't one. Yeah. The Hollywood Farm Press, it's not an academy. It's a bunch of people. They added a bunch of people to make it more diverse and to, and to try to save it. But it really is a, uh, they spread the awards around. You know, you were worried killers would go over. But yeah. if you think about the Golden Globes, I'm pretty sure that all these movies won something. Yeah. Even Barbie, and what the best Barbie did, unfortunately, it got best song, but it got like cinematic Cinem box, box office, office achievement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to your that? point, the Globes five years ago was 51 people, 51 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press. That's it. And they go, hang on a second. You're just a bunch of old white guys. Okay, sorry, let's rectify this. We'll get some people of color. We'll get some women. It's still only 500 people. The Oscars is 7,000 people. And, and their issues with Oscars So White 2016, that was around 4,000, 5,000. So even... Five, seven, eight years ago, it's 4,000 to 51. Now it's 600 to 7,500. So you're right. The better correlation for awards predictors is, of course, the SAGs, the Screen Actors Guild, because the Screen Actors, they are the biggest members of the Academy. All right. Speeches of the night. Gladstone was great. Giamatti was great. The guys from Beef were good. Uh, who else did you enjoy as far as speeches of award winners? Uh, Robert Downey Jr., pretty funny as well. I actually, the, the biggest memory I have is of uh, Will Ferrell, the presenter. Yeah. Fantastic. Him and Kristen Wiig. Him and Kristen Wiig. But then compared to Kevin Costner, I was worried about Kevin Costner. When he was presenting with American Ferrara, he either was disengaged or he was on something. There was something wrong with him. Yeah. Like he seemed, he seemed so level. Mm. Like, was he unhappy to be there? Did he not like his category? Did he not like her? Was he embarrassed? Yeah. Something was going on there. Did you notice that or no? Yeah, I, I, I think with you on the disengage, because I think the whole bit was she praises a speech from the bodyguard. He praises her speech from Barbie. But oh, I didn't really see the movie, but I heard it was good. The joke didn't land. And I think it that did, was the it issue. It did not. And there's something when jokes don't land for presenters, it can be very hard yeah. uh, and tough. And, you know, Jared Leto, <laughs> there was a chance that that wasn't going to land. And it sort of landed only because he's sort of he's easy on the eyes, but sort of strange. But I, 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 I love watching all that. Who presents with who and how they combine them and how they put a show together. I'm fascinated by it. And I also, of course, enjoy looking at who's at what table. When I saw Springsteen there, I must yeah. tell you, I thought that was going to win best song. 
because I figured he was told in advance he was going to win, please right. come. Right. So I was shocked when Billie Eilish, it's a great song, and I actually like that song better. Though the movie for Springsteen, she came to me. I don't know if you reviewed that. Seen it, no. with, oh, fantastic. With Dinklage and Anne Hathaway. Nice. It is quite something. But I can't believe they got Springsteen to go to the show and he didn't win. Yeah, I have a real issue when the winner isn't there. Really annoys me. Like, I was like, no, hang on. I, I, I guess they can't let you know you're going to win, but they could. And more importantly, like, be there. Because then it's like, I, I, I would honestly be like a raffle. The winner's not here. Okay, next man up. Next. Honestly, right? if you're not here, you have to be here to win. Yeah, that's the I whole point. I think it's important, though, for, for time purposes, it's that's how not. they keep the show in time. So they count on, listen, I'm a cynical guy. I find it hard to believe that the people don't know in advance who's there, who's not. Because are you telling me that they put quickly on the screen when the envelope is opened? Oh, my God, they're not here today. We accept it graciously on their behalf. Do they have that ready that the director presses go? And that's the graphic? Or do they know in advance? You know, they show the Ernst and Young people with the briefcases. Give me a yeah. break, would you please? <laughs> How about Kieran Culkin's speech? He said to Pedro Pascal, suck it, Pedro. I mean, that was a pretty funny speech. Very much in character. He is, so I can't figure out what I loved about Kieran Culkin's speeches. Was that, so it turns out that he didn't have to act that much. Right, so he shouldn't have won the award. He's just being himself. It sounded like himself a little bit is, <laughs> is what I thought. And I thought it was great. What is noteworthy to me is the, the quality in all these categories. So many people could have won, and that's what makes it exciting. And that's why I think the Oscars are going to be so good this year, because each category is so loaded. You know, I think that I, I think we could agree that the only category that's locked up is the category that used to be the one where there would be the only surprise, and that is in the supporting category. Right. And I think uh, supporting actress is locked up. Oh, yeah, Divine Joy Randolph, you're right. Runaway Train. She's winning everything, and you can't and see it. no stopping the momentum. Yeah. Supporting actor could be interesting, because I think, I mean, wait till you see poor things, but Ruffle and Defoe are both fantastic, and I think Gosling takes a big swing playing Ken and Barbie, and listen, Downey, maybe it's his moment. He's never won before, but that's a pretty good category. I'm curious. And I, I've, and I'm watching Oppenheimer again, and I'm watching it for performances. Downey was good, no yeah. doubt, but Oscar-worthy? I'm not, I'm still not there. I thought Ryan Gosling was outstanding, and I thought that was a big moment when Oppenheimer beat Barbie. But I think that category is going to be interesting. Obviously, Mark Ruffalo is such an accomplished actor. I'd love to see him win. Has yeah. he won an Oscar? He's never won an Oscar before. I this love him. This would be big because he's yeah. outstanding. So yeah. it's, it's fascinating, and that could be a surprise. But Best Supporting Actress, I think it's a done deal. All right, you got to go to a taping of Watch What Happens Live. Before you go, Cisco Liebert, you always say, you know, if there's one Oscar, that means the most to me. So if there's one award this award season, what's the one that David Sampson would say, oh, my goodness, pump fist, I'm elated. Whatever category you want, which one is it? Yeah, it's going to be Paul Giamatti, nice. who I've loved since a movie uh, that I've never talked to you about called Duets. Oh, yeah. Andre Brower. I love that movie. The singing. With, with yeah. Huey Lewis and directed by Bruce Paltrow with his daughter, Gwyneth Paltrow, right. was in it. Yeah. And I've loved him. He was in, what's the movie where he painted himself blue? Paul uh, Big Fat Liar. With my kids, Big Fat Liar. And I've just, obviously, Sideways is one of my favorite movies. So I, I would love to see him win. And also, there's the baseball connection. And I of think course. about it whenever I see him. His father is the late commissioner, Bartlett Giamatti, the commissioner who suspended Pete Rose. The commissioner whose death is the reason Pete Rose is still suspended from baseball. Little known fact is that Bud Selig, he did not want to go against Bart Giamatti's wishes. And Bart Giamatti died of a heart attack untimely. I guess yeah. every heart attack is untimely. Well, but so, 51, two weeks after he bans Rose for life, he dies. 
which is unbelievable if that happened. And Bud never wanted to go against it. He never wanted to sully Bart's memory by going against the ban that Giamatti put in. And Giamatti's son, Paul Giamatti, both went to Yale, which is cool, but is an actor and a really accomplished one. And it's funny, he's not an athlete, he's just a thespian. And I want him to win the Oscar. I worked with Ron Darling yesterday. Of course, Ronnie, great pitcher, 86 Mets, but went to Yale as well. And he said, oh, I, I knew Bart Giamatti. I'm like, of course, you avid baseball fan, you know, baseball lover. And I said, you know, Paul Giamatti, whenever he's asked about it, he kind of just skirts the issue. Like he was on Smartless, Will or not, because oh, I love baseball. And Paul will immediately say, oh, I'm not much of a baseball guy. My brother is, though. You know, Marcus is into it. I'm just not my thing. And I couldn't believe the stones on Scott Feinberg, my buddy from The Hollywood Reporter. I'll send you the pod. Giamatti was on. At the end, he's a rapid fire. And he goes, hey, rapid he says, I'm a big baseball fan. You think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame? And Scott knows that his dad suspended him for life. But you can hear in Paul's voice, like, oh, I'm not going to touch that one. Like, I'll plead the fifth. Like, no way. It's funny that Paul, obviously, can you imagine being a commissioner's son? You know, he oh. wants separation. He doesn't want to be thought of. And he's not a baseball guy. He is no. an actor. He doesn't care about baseball, and I respect him for it. But yeah. it's hard not to look at him and not think about Bart Giamatti, which I do. But Paul Giamatti has forged this amazing career that I hope gets rewarded. The first step comes January 23rd, live, yes. when the nominations are announced. It's a good point. Get the nomination first, because I always get scared, man. You go, hey, this guy might win. Let's get the nomination first. Killian Murphy, DiCaprio, Coleman Domingo, Rustin, Jeffrey Wright, American Fiction, your boy Barry Keegan Saltburn, Giamatti, Andrew Scott, all the strangers. There's like seven or eight guys in there. So let's, let's get Paul the nomination first. Last one, you're going to be pressed for time. But I get this question a lot, so I do want to ask you. People say to me, why doesn't David Sampson go back to baseball? He was very successful in baseball. Jeter fires you. Now you've forged a path, podcaster, broadcaster, writer, et cetera. But like, what, is there a chance you'll go back to baseball? I'm serious. Yeah, no is the answer. I've done it. I did it for 18 years. I was president of a team with the Marlins for 16 seasons. I was the EVP running the Expos for two seasons. We won a World Series. I built the stadium, lost 100 games, traded players, signed players, signed the biggest contract of its time when we signed Giancarlo Stanton for that $325 million. Well, There's nothing left to prove. I don't want to say I was relieved when Jeter let me go. I was just ready. I was wow. ready for what was next, and I always wanted, I enjoyed being in front of the camera. I was always front-facing as president of the Marlins, and I love what I'm doing. The, the thing I miss about baseball and working for a team, I miss every night either being happy or angry. So I, I don't go to bed upset with results anymore, and I'm used to 162 times, and that's literal. Every night it would dictate, am I happy going to bed or am I angry going to bed? So I create competitions like, are my numbers bigger than Adnan's? Right. You know, am I getting more swag than Adnan? So I'll, I'll come up with all these different competitions in my mind because at yeah. the end of the day, what I do now is similar to what helped me in baseball. It, it all feeds my ego. If, if we're being totally honest, which I am with you, I yeah. have an ego. And when you're president of a we team, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But being, you know, the head of Nothing Personal and being an MLB analyst with CBS, getting to do shows with you and Dan and having a platform, frankly, that's way bigger now than when I was the president of the baseball team. It's not even close. Yeah. So I, I enjoy it. I would not go back. I like that answer. I climbed the mountain. What else? There's no other words to conquer. One other thought. Last one. I promise I'll let you go. You're amazing with the phone. I text you a text back right away. But I think you and I share this sentiment. We're both pretty good with this response. We get inferior with others who are not at that level. Chris Cody, namely among them. How is Coca with getting back to you? And, and what do you do if somebody is not nearly as responsive as you? Because you, you're on it. Like, it's within minutes. It's a respect thing. So if I don't respond to a text, it means that I'm either on a plane or I'm dead. So otherwise, I'm responding. Like, I don't have a red number 
next to my text logo on the phone. It's right. it never, it's always zero. Even yeah. if it's just a quick LOL or a quick exclamation point, just yep. to let you know that I saw it. Right. Coca, don't tell him this. Just. He has the thing on the text where it shows red. I hate that. Because then they know it's red. You have to respond. Correct. Then you have to. It's ridiculous. You're he's supposed to just say delivered. But yeah. he lets me know when he's read it by accident. I don't think he knows this. So yeah. therefore, I don't need him to respond. But he does respond very well. But I don't need him to because I know he's read it. Right. So that's the yeah. trick, obviously, yeah. the, to get that toggle off. But Coke is really good. But, you know, Cody is not good at all. Yeah. Lebitard is <laughs> horrific. Just <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. Drives Luke, me absolutely Luke Shambi told me years ago, before I was even at the point where I could text with Danny, he goes, oh, he's the worst. I go, what? He goes, he'll text you when he needs something, but if you need something, he does not respond. He goes, and I'll say it to his face. He's terrible at it. Oh, he and I have talked about it. And, yeah. I, and I've told him now with our relationship, here's how it's going to go. Yeah. When I need a response, I'm going to put it in the text. And that's what I do. Need mm. response now. Otherwise, it's just something that I want him to read or an article I want him to see. Sure. But yeah. if there's something going on like, hey, I need bail money. <laughs> like, you can't get back to me in three days. <laughs> Great stuff from David Sam. If you loved it, make sure you listen to Nothing Personal. We're going to do a home and home. When I was on Nothing Personal a couple years ago, David said, hey, we don't do multiple appearances, but we're going to make an exception in this case so I can do some Oscar nominations and uh, go hump a dirt pile or something, all right? Thanks so much. See you later. Bye. <laughs>
last year, I just finally got around to seeing it because I've been obviously going through all these screeners and watching all these DVDs. So I was caught up on the Golden Globes. I had a chance to finally watch Bo is Afraid. And man, is it a weird movie. Following the sudden death of his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks an epic Kafka-esque odyssey. That's right. Now, Ari Aster is a celebrated filmmaker. I said off the top, I mean, he he really is in many ways the face of A24. Nicolas Cage, whose dream scenario I was a huge fan of. I saw him in one of these junkets slash press conferences that I probably have better things to do with my time. I love Nick Cage. And when they asked him, you know, what do you think of the work that A24 is doing? Because they produce dream scenario. He was like, well, I love all this stuff with Ari. Like he, everyone kind of knows it's, you know, for years, Christopher Nolan was so identified closely with Warner Brothers. Same thing. Ari Aster, A24, you're like, yeah, that's that's a big deal. He's kind of their guy. And for good reason. Hereditary was a terrific movie. Scary, unnerving. And The Midsommar, definitely moments of being terrifying, but I found it awfully funny. I mean, me and Rags, we were talking about Midsommar for weeks. We enjoyed it so much. Came out in the summer a few years ago. Just bizarrely funny and diabolical at times. And no bigger fan than, of course, my man, Martin Scorsese. When he's been asked about filmmakers who he likes and you know new voices, he immediately jumps to Ari Aster and specifically mentions those two movies. Not sure if Marty saw Bo's Afraid, but it's it's demented, and I think it's it's the weakest of his films so far. I mean, it's it's a clear letdown from what he did in the past, but he's taken some big swings and it definitely does have some moments. So once again, a reserved man makes regular visits to his therapist. That's how it begins out. He's talking about his anxiety. He's talking about the issues he has with his mother, and from there it just gets strange. Joaquin Phoenix is uh, very good in the movie. He's anxiety-riddled, stressed out, you know, thinning hair, hair's dyed white, Golden Globe nominated. Really kind of shows off his comedic side and the fact that he's willing to take a big swing like this because this movie is one thing about taking swings. It's out there. One of my biggest criticisms of the movie is I just think it was too self-indulgent. While it is bemusing, it's two hours and 53 minutes. I don't need that long when it comes to a guy just going through his own personal odyssey. You know, Killers of Flower Moon, three hours and 20 minutes, that's telling an epic story. Oppenheimer, three hours, I think, deserves that length. Bo's afraid, I don't need 253 of this guy who's just dealing with all of his problems. But it's got some zany moments. There's no question about it. Early on, there's one sequence I'll never forget. Joaquin Phoenix is in the bathtub. And he looks up and he sees a guy like on top of his ceiling. He's like somehow attached to the top of his ceiling. And it's just such a bizarre image. And then the guy, you know, the sweat starts dripping down. He literally falls on Joaquin Phoenix in the bathtub. They have like a naked tussle. It's very bizarre. He goes out in the street running around naked, gets stabbed by this guy randomly. Like it's it's so many of your worst fears come true. And again, it's the specter of his mother, which is hanging over all of it. It's a really good cast. Um, a pleasant surprise to Nathan Lane showing up who has one of the funniest lines there at the dinner table. And he kind of mur murmurs to him. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know your testicles were distended. Patty Lapone plays the mother. Uh, she's very memorable. And you can see why she's, you know, the mother from hell in so many ways. Makes it the great Richard Lewis routine on Kirby Enthusiasm. The blank from hell. I invented that. Uh, Michael Gandolfini, who I love, of course, because his father from The Sopranos. I met Michael a few years ago when The Many Saints of Newark came out. He's a very sweet guy. He's also in the movie as well. And Parker Posey, one of the most bizarre sex scenes you'll ever see. I mean, this guy's he's scared of everything, including making love to a woman. And it's just bizarre scene. I mean, when he's just like, no, no, don't, don't. I don't want to spoil it for you, but she says you really blasted through that bag. It's 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 funny, but it's strange. That's probably the best way I can describe Bo is Afraid. Amy Ryan also in the movie as well. Indie Darling in so many of these films. So, um, like I said, disturbing at times, certainly funny, certainly risque, 
but I think it's it demands a lot of its audience. And uh, I'm glad I was in the theater for it because I think at times I would have been a little exhausted by it. But Ari Aster is definitely a filmmaker I appreciate and I respect, and I'll give him two and a half Maple Leafs. No old movie. One other new movie, which is uh, I was able to watch. I'm not sure again when it's going to coming out to all of you, but hopefully you can check out Perfect Days. It's a drama which was directed by Vim Vendors, and it's a script written by Vendors and Takuma Takasaki. You know, Vim Vendors celebrated foreign filmmaker. Obviously, everyone knows Wings of Desire, a very famous film, which uh, was an influence on one of my favorite bands, The Tea Party, great Canadian rock band, influenced by Led Zeppelin and The Doors and... Um, you know, massive growing up. They have a, a song called Angels. They say it's inspired by Wings of Desire, which is a great film. This one, though, is a co-production between Japan and Germany, and it combines four short stories and stars Koji Okusho in the role of a toilet cleaner. That's right. Don't think I've ever seen a feature film where the, the lead character is a toilet cleaner. And I got to tell you something. These toilets in Tokyo are insane. I mean, that's what Vim Vender said. He said he was inspired by the toilets there. Yes, they're dirty, which is why, of course, you need a toilet bowl cleaner, but much more sophisticated than what you might see here in America or in Canada, perhaps. But it's a, it's a really sweet film. Uh, if I were to denigrate it, I would say it was overly simplistic, but I'm not going to say that. I'll say it's minimalist, which really is the point of the film. Now, at times, it's a little bit too minimalist for my taste. I'm not saying I need a car chase or something blowing up, but I could use a little bit more plot. But again, that's that's not what Vin Vendors is going for. It's a character study, and it's about grace and harmony and, and trying to find a level of acceptance and happiness in what's often a very tough and very challenging world. So it's a, it's a very sweet message, and... I can see why people will like it, love it. My boy, John LeBoy, is a huge Vim Vendors fan. I made sure I watched it as soon as I could so he could see it. And I knew he would love it, which he did. It's got a cool soundtrack. I love the last shot of the movie, the song and the music. And again, the performance by Koji is excellent. I can see why he won Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival. But I don't think this is the film that's going to be accessible to a wide audience. Again, if you like form films, if you like Vim Vendors' work, if you like a, a story about what's happened character in Tokyo, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and there's certainly some sweet moments of uh, redemption as this guy's you know, basically, it's a validation of the ordinary. You know, this is a guy just living his life, and it's kind of a two-hour trip to Tokyo. So if you want to take a good road trip, uh, and if you don't have time to go to Tokyo, you can watch this film and see this character, um, how he certainly indulges his passion for music, books, and trees. A Quiet Life in Tokyo. Check out Perfect Days. I'll give it two and a half maple leaves as well. Once again, thank you to David Sampson. Nothing personal, available on the Metal Ark family. Make sure you support David's work. Um, as I said, on with, with him, we're going to do a home and home, so I'll be on Nothing Personal at some point, probably Oscar nominations, January 23rd, which is the same day as the Baseball Hall of Fame announcement, as you heard us discuss. But thank you for all the support here of the podcast. Please go to Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Go Dolphins for Chris. Go Eagles for me. Big game against the Bucks, And, of course, next week, Critics' Choice Awards. I'll be uh, flying to Los Angeles this weekend. I'll seat. Extra 51 bucks for that. I'll see my buddy Ben Lyons. We'll reunite. And it'll be my first Critics' Choice Awards in five years. So, fingers crossed, folks. Hopefully, I get to run into Marty. I get to see Paul Giamatti coming out of a bathroom. And uh, tell him what a huge fan I am of him. And, um... Hopefully, we'll lay the groundwork for some future episodes of interviews here in Cinephile. The past, when I did it, I'm telling you, man, I got to meet Ray Seahorn, became friends with her husband, Graham Larson, who's a lovely guy. Just texted him the other day. Huge Yankee fan. Needs to get another starting pitcher. Got to meet Bob Odenkirk. Got to meet uh, Marshall Ali, of course, my man. Uh, Vigo Mortensen. Max Bredos was with me. He started speaking Spanish to Vigo. He's a huge soccer guy. Vigo was saying in Spanish, Max told me after, he was saying, yeah, this time wearing it's the colors of like his favorite club team in Spain. So... 
Who knows, folks? I could have some wild, crazy stories coming out of the Critics' Choice Awards. And lastly, again, shout out to Paul Giamatti, eating an In-N-Out burger after winning his Golden Globe. That man is a living legend. Thank you so much for supporting Cinephile. I'll see you at the movies. Thank you.